The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure you get the best experience. This show is sponsored by CDS Print and Design. For high-quality printed t-shirts, coasters, placemats, mugs and drinks containers, stickers and much, much more, contact Colin or Debbie for a no-obligation quote. You can find CDS Print and Design on Instagram, Facebook and now Etsy. If you love the Haunted UK podcast and you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast. You can subscribe to donate just £3 per month, the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you'd prefer not to subscribe, then any donation to the show will be greatly appreciated. A target of 30 subscribers is the aim, and with your help, I know that's more than possible. The goal is to be able to release bonus content to subscribers and to get Haunted UK Podcast merchandise out there and available to all you amazing listeners. You'll even get a shout-out in an episode of the main show. So that's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK Podcast to donate. Thank you. And here are the names of some amazing people who have donated to the show recently. They are Matt Turner, Tracy Brown, Lisa Simmons, Matt Hayden, and last but not least, Claire, for a truly significant donation. As well as coffee, you can also follow the Haunted UK podcast on Instagram, Twitter at Haunted UK Pod, and on YouTube. Do you love ghost stories? Tales of haunted houses and poltergeist encounters? What about other areas of the paranormal, such as strange creatures, doppelgangers, time slips, and even creepy unexplained disappearances? If you do, then you're in the right place. And these are the topics which we'll be visiting every two weeks throughout the many future episodes and seasons of this show. And just to ensure that you get the best experience... There will be no advertisements throughout the main content of this episode. But please stick around to the end of the show, where you'll hear a small promo from one of the many great podcasts out there, which I know you'll want to check out. The script for this episode was kindly proofread and edited by Marie Waller. For more details about this service, email marie at mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. That's mariewaller.proofreading.com at gmail.com. This email address will also be in the show notes. Now without any further delay, let's get this episode started. There was also always a feeling that somebody was coming up behind you. But when you turned around, nobody and nothing was ever there. Loud bangs and knocks were also commonplace, along with stuff going missing then turning up several months later once the house had been pulled apart trying to find it. We even eventually called it Derek. So anytime something went missing, we always said that Derek had moved it.
This is the second finale episode of Season 3 of the Haunted UK Podcast. And again, it's over to you amazing listeners to entertain us, terrify us, and send shivers down our spine with your listener stories. I absolutely love these Listener Stories episodes. Sitting down, reading all of these fantastic tales and then putting them all together is a guilty pleasure of mine. Just when I think that I've been scared out of my wits by one story, another one comes along and does it all over again. If you loved the first episode of this season's Listener Stories, you'll definitely love this one. It's once again packed with tales of the paranormal from everyday people, from all walks of life. So get comfortable, dim those lights, and let's begin. Our first story comes from a museum curator who, whilst being sceptic, still believes that a paranormal veil separates our world from something else. I've been greatly enjoying the Haunted UK podcast and I thought I'd share my paranormal story with you and the listeners. I'd like to remain anonymous. I'm a curator, and very early in my museum career, I worked at an 18th century country house museum in Yorkshire. In this historic house, there were numerous stories that circulated among the staff, ranging from the visitors that commented how much they had enjoyed meeting the reenactors in costume we didn't have any costumed reenactors, to objects mysteriously moving. I, on occasion, found light bulbs removed from their fittings and carefully placed on the floor. However, at the time, I attributed this to mischievous colleagues rather than to supernatural spirits. This is the experience that remains with me. It was a Monday and the building was closed to the public, and I was working in the museum on my own. The museum stores, where the artefacts were housed, were located in the basement in converted cellar spaces. To reach the stores, you had to pass through the room housing the boiler, and to the right on the corridor before you entered the boiler room was an entrance to the servants' dining hall. That morning, I was shuttling to and fro carrying boxes, each time I passed the entrance to the servants' dining hall, I noticed that the door was ajar, and each time I pulled it closed, thinking that it was due to a draft. On about the third occasion, I thought, this is getting weird, and I once again closed the door to the servants' dining hall, but this time I pulled the bolt across. I then went into the boiler room, shut the door, and counted to ten. Upon leaving the boiler room, I discovered the door to the servants' dining room was once again wide open. I'm a sceptic and do not believe in ghosts. However, I do believe that there are places where time is thin and the past intrudes on the present, what you've described as the time-slip phenomena in your podcast. And I like to think that there was a scullery made in the 19th century getting equally exasperated with the same door as I pulled it into the 20th century. Keep up the good work, and I'm looking forward to Season 3. 
Our next collection of stories come from a listener named Michael. Due to his job and the sensitive areas which he still works in, he requested that all names and locations be kept private. The following stories are absolutely amazing. Just listening to your podcast on Spotify, and I thought I'd share two stories. The first involves me directly, and the second involves a friend. It was summer 2001, and the security company I worked for were hired by a South Dublin private college. They had decided to open an IT classroom, and the insurance company requested they increase security in the room that they wanted to use. This building was a hospital, but there were some parts of it that were very old. The room that I was in was in the old part of the hospital. My boss and myself carried out the cabling together before he told me he needed to go to another job, so I was left alone to complete this one. After he left, I stopped for lunch, which meant it was at least an hour after he'd gone when I started working in the room in question. I was fitting a motion detector in the corner of the room. Rather than move a table and get a ladder, I simply stood on the table. Below me was an old-style monitor the glass tubular type. When I looked down, I could see the reflection of the windows behind me. I continued to work, but found my eyes drawn back to the monitor. This time, I could see the silhouette of a person behind me. Obviously, my boss had returned. That was fast. Did you get yourself sorted? I said. But there was no reply. I turned to look at him, but all that was there were tables and the windows. Just a trick of the light, I thought. I returned to the job at hand, but again my eyes were brought back to the glass monitor. Again, the black outline of a person was standing there completely still. Then while watching, the figure took two clear steps to one side so they could see past me and what I was doing. When they clearly moved, I knew that this wasn't a trick of the light. So I turned to see, again, nothing. No person, nothing at all. I ran out of the room, leaving all my tools behind. I later found out from the caretaker that that part of the school has a lot of reported sightings. I never went back into the room. My boss finished off that part of the work, but he never saw anything at all. This second story was relayed to me by a nurse friend who works in a local hospital. In late 1990s, there was a bad crash on the main motorway in Dublin, the M50. At the time, there were no barriers separating the north and south sides. The crash involved a speeding car hitting a low point in the road at the M3 exit. It's still there today. The car lost control and went from the northbound side to the southbound side. The driver hit another car head-on. He and the driver of the other car died on impact, but there was a girl in the other car who was removed and sent to the local hospital. Much later that day, my nurse friend was calling a lift when a porter walked in beside her. The lift door opened and they both walked inside. She pressed the first floor button and him the second floor button. But instead of the lift going up, it went down most likely because somebody had called it. When it reached the basement, the door opened and stood at the door was a little girl. 
She motioned toward the lift, but the porter put his hand out and said, You can't come with us. You have to stay here, my dear. The porter pressed the button and the lift door closed. My friend asked the porter, did he know the little girl? And his reply was, no, she was involved in that car crash earlier today. My friend asked, how did he know she had to stay in the basement? And he replied, because I personally wheeled her into the morgue 30 minutes ago. This story in particular sent shivers down my spine when I read it. And with all listeners who send in their stories, I replied to Michael to let him know. I also asked if he had any further stories, and he replied with another amazing experience. Michael continues. The joy of what I do with my business means a vast amount of time I work, it's in disused buildings, and I'm always alone. Sites I've worked in include places like old hospitals and vacant electricity supply board stations, or ESBs as I'll refer to them from now on. I do have a story relating to an ESB station I worked in. The date of this incident sticks in my mind because it was the summer that the Blair Witch Project movie was released. We were hired to revamp the internal and external security systems in an ESB in Dublin. The site consisted of two corridors. The first was bright and cheerful due to sunlight. The second, which was at a right angle to the first, not so bright. Toward the end of this corridor was a room they called the meter room. This room held a number of desks and ESB meters which were connected to external streetlights. They used the meters to take readings from a single streetlight, then multiply it by the amount of streetlights in Dublin. It's how they calculated the cost of lighting the streets of Dublin at the time. Within this room was a chair with a single word scribed on the back. Satan. While working in this room, I asked about the chair. The staff laughed and suggested it would be easier to witness why the chair was there. So I was told to be at the room at close of business. So I did just that. I was shown the room and the location of the chair. The room was then locked and the key was handed to me. We went to the exit of the building, armed the security system and left. I was told to be there the next day at 8am sharp. The following morning, I arrived as requested. The alarm was disarmed and we all went in. We made our way to the meter room and opened it. The room was exactly the way we left it, except for the chair. The chair stood in the centre of the room, facing the door as proud as Punch. Confused, I asked what had happened. Instead of telling me at first, it was suggested that I be shown. So we all went to the small wages room where the CCTV system was housed. As I said, I was updating the security, and the CCTV being replaced was the old VCR tape system. They showed me a tape and selected the internal black and white camera covering the rear dark corridor. When watched closely, you could make out the shape of a small person moving along the corridor from left to right as it approached the meter room. Then it disappeared through the door. Later, I was told a story by the staff of who they thought this apparition may have been. 
Many years before the installation of electronic security, they used dogs to protect the compound. Thieves liked the compound because it housed a lot of copper and cabling. At some point in time, kids were playing at the rear of the 110 kilovolt station on a football pitch nearby. Their ball unfortunately ended up going over the wall and into the compound. One boy was tasked with getting the ball back. He did get the ball, but the dogs got to him before he got out. This, they maintained, was the source of the CCTV images and the moving chair. In relation to other sites, I can relay stories and photos if required. As I said, I work in some of the creepiest parts of Dublin, always alone. Kind regards, Michael. We now move on to a couple of stories from Darren in Kent. He kindly sent in these stories after finding the podcast which has kept him company during his long hours in his truck. The first is a tale which his father told him about a particular element of the paranormal which I always find fascinating. The phantom hitchhiker at the side of the road. And the second is an incident which he experienced as a young boy at his family home. This incident involved an entity which continues to crop up again and again all over the world. Darren writes... I just wanted to share a story that I remembered after listening to your Phantom Hitchhikers episode. Many years ago, my dad told me a story about the time he was driving up the A229, or as it's commonly known, Bluebell Hill in Kent. He was driving up the hill late one night, and just like one of your tales in the Hitchhiker episode, he had a lady dressed all in white jump out in front of his car. So he slams on the brakes and hears her connect with the bonnet, she then rolled over the roof of the car and as she fell off the roof towards the floor, my dad saw her in the rearview mirror. When he finally stopped, he got out of the car and went back to find her to see if she was okay. But there was nobody there. No blood. Nothing. Eventually, he got back in the car and went home. When he told his parents in the morning, my granddad just responded with, Oh, her. That's the woman on Bluebell Hill. Yes, she always jumps out in front of cars and then disappears. She's quite well known. After this, my dad spoke to a friend about it, and somebody finally told him that it was the ghost of a woman who was killed in a car accident, on the hill, on the way to her wedding, hence the white dress being seen. Since the day he told me that story, I've never been up to Bluebell Hill in the dark. As it turns out, her ghost is very often seen in the area. Another story I have I've only told to one other person, but since her response was, yes, whatever, but ghosts don't exist, I decided not to tell anybody else until now. When I was growing up, the house I lived in for 17 years was a warm and loving home, even after what I saw. Mine and my brother's bedroom was on the landing where you could see the stairs. I would wake up several times between 12.30 and 1am and every time I would hear footsteps coming up the stairs. As I watched, I would see a tall figure dressed in a black top with a black hat 
making their way up the stairs. I could hear my dad snoring, and my mum was taking sleeping pills at the time, so it definitely wasn't either of them. My brother would still be in the bunk bed below me asleep, and my sister would also still be asleep. For fear of something bad happening, I did what all children aged under 10 would do. I pulled the quilt up over my head, closed my eyes hard, and waited to fall asleep. When I would wake up in the morning, nobody would mention anything, so neither would I. There was also always a feeling that somebody was coming up behind you, but when you turned around, nobody would be there. Loud bangs and knocks would also be commonplace, along with items going missing, then turning up several months later once the house had been pulled apart trying to find them. We even eventually called whatever it was Derek. So anytime something went missing, we'd always say that Derek had moved it. Several years after we moved in, we did a bit of digging around and found out that a previous resident had committed suicide in that house. We always enjoyed living there and I only moved out when I joined the army. And after my brother and sister moved out, my parents moved out too. I don't know if the new tenants have noticed anything, as we don't know them, but it wouldn't surprise me to find out that the activity has continued to this day. Kind regards and keep up the good podcast. Darren the Trucker from Ramsgate in Kent. Impressive that I can still miss Bluebell Hill in the dark, even while at work, and I start at 3am, but I still won't go that way. We next move on to a number of experiences which have been kindly sent in by a listener named Nikki. I got hooked on your podcast when I started working from home and at weekends when I had a few moments to myself and I could sit and relax in the garden, which doesn't happen very often. I listen via Spotify. Anyway, my story is a bit of an odd one, as it was more to do with my daughter than me. So here goes. During 2004, I was on holiday with my parents and my daughter, who would have been around three years old at the time. My dad is a massive World War II geek and reads everything that he can on the subject and enjoys visiting museums, etc. My grandfather fought in World War II and luckily returned when so many others unfortunately didn't. Anyway, this particular holiday, we were in South Devon in early June. The weather wasn't looking particularly great on this day, so my dad suggested going to see the remains of a World War II base. Now, I can't remember where we were exactly, but we were staying in Appledore, and this place was right on the edge of a cliff. From memory, and remember I was trying to entertain a toddler, I believe it was an old radio station, but also had an underground hospital. We parked the car at the top of a hill and walked down to the site, my daughter being in a pushchair. It was extremely foggy, so you really couldn't see much unless it was a few feet from you. We looked around the old hut buildings while my daughter was asleep and had a look around some of the other buildings or remains of and then my daughter woke up and was hungry. My parents decided to go and have a look in the old underground hospital buildings and as my daughter was hungry and restless, I said we'd sit by the monument and I'd give her some snacks. 
By this time, the fog had started to clear, but patches were still very thick. There were a few other people milling around, but it wasn't very busy at all. So, I'm watching my daughter playing, and she's eating a bag of Watsits, and she keeps coming over to give me treasure that she has found, i.e. stones and old snail shells, when all of a sudden she just stops and stares in the area of the underground hospital. I thought that she'd spotted my parents coming out, so I walked over to her and squatted down beside her. She then turns to me and says, Mummy, look at that poorly man with plasters on his head. I looked to my right, expecting to see a man with his arm in plaster, thinking that she was just getting her words mixed up, but there was nobody there. So I turned to her and asked her what she meant, and again she pointed and said, Ah, Mummy, look at that poorly man. There was nobody there. When I asked her again, she just waved in the general direction of the hospital, as if she was waving goodbye to someone, and then she just carried on eating her watsits. The fog then just cleared away, and it was a beautiful sunny day and the view was outstanding. Unbeknownst to me, all the while we'd been sitting quite close to the cliff edge. When my parents came out, I asked them if they'd seen anyone with their arm in plaster walking towards where they had just come from, but they said they'd seen no one. In fact, they were the only visitors in the area. Still to this day, I cannot explain this. I am a believer, and so is my mum, but my daughter was far too young to have had any such beliefs that could have influenced her. Funnily enough, now she's almost 21, she doesn't believe in ghosts at all. I'm not sure what was there that day, but was the spirit of someone trying to get us away from that cliff edge? Another time, not long after my great-grandmother died, things started moving around or being hidden in our family home. My mum was very close to her grandmother and spent every spare moment when she was a little girl in her grandparents' old Victorian house in Devon. This is why we were on holiday in Devon in the above story. When she died, my mum was distraught. I'd never seen her so upset. In her will, she'd left my mum some pieces of furniture, a dinner set that my great-grandfather had commissioned while he was stationed in Hong Kong during World War II, he was a naval officer by the way, and some pieces of jewellery. Anyway, not long after she died in the late 1990s, things in our house would go missing and then turn up in random places. The remote control went missing for almost a week. We all blamed each other. Bins were emptied, the sofa was literally turned upside down. The remote was finally found balanced on top of a door frame in the kitchen. My brother had an enormous mobile phone. It was almost like a brick. It was found in the cabinet that the dinner set had been displayed in. I'm convinced that this was my great-grandmother letting my mum know that she was still around and looking out for her. Once my mum's sadness had subsided, everything went back to normal and nothing else went missing. I know it was my nan being mischievous. Well, I hope you like my tales. I think our youngest daughter can sense spirits. While on holiday in July this year, we went around some National Trust properties. In one particular property, 
she felt very uneasy and didn't want to step inside one of the rooms. She actually went and sat outside and waited for me. With kindest regards, Nikki. After a thank you email from myself, Nikki very kindly came back with a few more stories. But in that email, we also briefly discussed our points of view regarding religious faith and paranormal experiences. I myself am an atheist and have been for pretty much all of my life. Whilst I have no issue with people putting their belief in a god, I do take serious issue when religion is used as a tool to commit atrocities. It's such a shame that a small minority of people would choose to use their faith in God as an excuse to do these terrible things, when the majority of people with faith are peace-loving individuals who take comfort from what their faith in God brings to them. I'm also of the opinion that you don't need to have a belief in a God or a deity to have a paranormal experience. If the paranormal is indeed an area of science that we don't yet understand, then it goes without saying that if you're in the right place at the right time, and if the atmosphere is just right, you may experience something. A huge amount of people who've had no belief in either God or the paranormal have had some truly amazing events happen to them. But let's get back to Nikki's other stories. Thank you for your email. I'm also an atheist and never had our two girls baptised as I wanted them to make their own minds up about religion, much to my Irish Catholic mother-in-law's disgust. She lights a candle every day at church for their souls and is convinced that they both don't have God looking after them. I think our youngest daughter, who has just turned 16, is quite susceptible to sensing when something is not quite right. When we moved into our current home four years ago, the first thing she said was, this house is haunted. Now, she loves her paranormal programs and is quite the drama queen, so we never took too much notice. Not long after this, I was at home on my own. Our two daughters were at school when I heard something upstairs. I thought one of the dogs had gone upstairs to try and find some food, but then realised they were both outside. When I went upstairs, there was nobody there, but I put this down to new house sounds. Anyway, after living in the village a few weeks, we got talking to some locals, and our house and the close it was built in were on the site of an old 16th century pub. Our house would have been in the garden where the stables were. One of our neighbours told us that every night at just after 9pm, they can hear someone walking across their bedroom floor, but the footsteps sound like they're only going in one direction. Their house is exactly where the original pub would have been. After doing some research, I discovered that the original pub had burnt down in the 1930s, and a new pub had been built close to the road. Where the original pub was, was now where the new pub's beer garden was. Anyway, I digress. We've now lived in our house for just over four years. Every now and then, the TVs will turn on when nobody is in the room. One night, when I was sitting in the lounge, where you have a clear view of the hallway and stairs, one of the dogs started wagging their tail, like they do when one of the girls comes downstairs to get snacks, and I saw a shadow go past the door. 
Thinking it was one of the girls, I shouted out to them to make me a cuppa. When no one answered, I went into the kitchen and nobody was there. I've never mentioned any of these occurrences to my daughter, but every now and then she will ask me why I went into her room in the night. I never do. Or why did I turn her laptop off? Again, I never do. Funnily enough, I wake up most nights, or mornings, at 2.23am. Now, is this menopause or hot sweats, or something trying to get my attention? Whatever it is, it doesn't bother me or anyone else in the house, other than the dogs who sometimes think they're going to get a treat. Another story comes to mind that happened to my parents in the late 70s, when myself and my brother were young. My dad doesn't believe in anything and definitely doesn't believe in ghosts. But even he couldn't explain what happened one evening while we were on holiday. My parents had hired an old cottage in North Wales. The garden overlooked the graveyard of the local church. This freaked me and my brother out a little bit. But being young, we didn't take too much more notice. Especially after my dad had told us that the dead can't hurt you, only the living can. The cottage was an old two-up, two-down miners type cottage. Being as it was in the late 1970s, there were no mod cons like you would expect in a holiday rental today. Anyway, the TV signal was a bit hit and miss, so my parents were sat reading. Me and my brother were already in bed. My dad always sticks to the same story, even after almost five decades later when he recounts this to other people. As I said, my parents were downstairs and they both hear someone walking around in the upstairs bedroom where me and my brother were sleeping. The footsteps get so noisy that my mum sends my dad upstairs to tell me and my brother off for messing around. When my dad starts going upstairs, the footsteps stop. So now my mum definitely thinks it's us messing around. When my dad enters our room, he finds us both fast asleep. He goes back downstairs, sits down, and the footsteps start again. But this time, they're moving from bedroom to bedroom. Again, he goes upstairs, and again, the noises stop. Come bedtime, he starts turning the lights off, and my mum asks where he's going, and he says, bed. She says that there is no way she's going upstairs, and he says, sleep down here then. Me and my brother have no recollection of this event at all. I was probably around eight or nine, and he was around three or four at the time. As I said before, my dad doesn't believe in the paranormal, but even to this day, he cannot explain what happened that night all those years ago. My mum did go upstairs to bed, but apparently hardly slept at all for the rest of the week's holiday. Has something always been around my family? And does it come with us to various places? Or is it just that we are more in tune with things going on around us? I'm not sure, but I do feel that if a person has unfinished business, then their soul does hang around until that business has been sorted out and they finally have some closure. Please feel free to use these experiences in Season 3, and I have no objection to you using my name. As I said before, I love the podcast, 
and I find every episode very entertaining. I especially loved the London Underground episode. Kind regards, Nikki. Our next listener story comes from Anne, who sent in this amazing tale of the return of the spirit of a kindly man who'd never wanted to leave the house that her grandparents now lived in. There are some very strange and spooky coincidences in this story, and I think you'll all enjoy this one just as much as I do. I've just discovered your podcast and have been binge listening. It's so good. My story is quite long, so please forgive me. My nan and granddad lived in a small terraced house in Liverpool. My nan was a very practical, stoic and hard-working woman who did not suffer fools gladly. She had no time for religion, which she said caused war and conflict. When I was a child, myself and my three sisters spent a lot of our time at our nan and granddad's. If there was a strange noise or occurrence in the house, and there were many, they would laugh and say, ''Don't worry, it's only Fred.'' We didn't really know what this meant, but just accepted it as another word for a gremlin. When I was about 11, my nan, after much pestering, finally told me who Fred was. Fred, it transpired, was a local councillor and had lived in the house before my grandparents. Pressured by his wife, and after many years of living happily in the little terraced house, he reluctantly moved in the 1950s to a more upmarket area. One Friday evening, a year or so after my nan and granddad moved in, the man from the Prue Insurance Company called to collect the weekly premiums. While he was there, the three adults heard terrible screaming. Believing the sound to be coming from the house next door, where a very elderly gentleman lived, my granddad and the man from the Prue hammered on the door. When there was no reply and fearing there had been an accident of some sort, they forced open the door, only to find the old man safe, well and fast asleep in front of the fire. The screaming went on unabated for the next hour or so and soon attracted a group of neighbours who gathered to help find the source. In the yard of my grandparents' house, there was an old boiler which was defunct. Instead of removing the boiler, my granddad had decided to brick it up, a task he had only completed the day before. When one of the neighbours suggested he may have inadvertently bricked in a cat, the men set about tearing the bricks down. But there was no cat. Eventually, the local bobby, or policeman as they're now known, was summoned, and moments after he arrived, the screaming ceased. Assuming that his presence had scared off local children, the matter was written off as a prank. The time was 7.10pm. The following Friday, the man from the Prue called again, bringing strange news. Fred the councillor was also one of his customers. When the Prue insurance man called to collect Fred's premiums a few days after the screaming incident, he discovered he'd passed away of stomach cancer. The poor man had died at 7.10pm the previous Friday, and his last hours were spent screaming in agony. I repeated this story to my mother, who said it may explain a very strange thing that happened when she was a child. 
My nan was baptised Church of England, but was not religious at all. Her house was a few metres away from a Church of England church. Despite this, my mother remembers my nan giving her some money and a note and sending her to the local Catholic church. She gave the priest the money and note and he gave her some candles and holy water. My mother has no recollection of what happened next. Fast forward 20 years or so. My sisters and I took turns once a month to stay over at my grandparents' house for the weekend. The bedroom we slept in was little more than a cupboard. The house had no bathroom or indoor loo when it was built. To make a bathroom, a builder had knocked down a cupboard on the landing and taken 1.5 metres from the back bedroom. The back bedroom went from square to L-shaped. It was just wide enough to fit in a narrow, single bed. If you lay down in the bed, you could not see the door. The door was heavy and often stuck. And it took some force to open and shut, and had sort of a ball bearing that made a clicking noise. There was also a step down into the bedroom. One weekend, when it was my turn to stay, my nan and grandad had made arrangements to go to a function. Rather than cancel or miss my turn, I persuaded them that I could be left alone. I must have been about 13 years old and very sensible, so they agreed. Before they left, they made sure everything was locked and I bolted the front door behind them. I went to bed at about 11pm, but left the landing light on so that the house wasn't dark. About an hour later, I was woken up by a strange scratching and shuffling sound on the landing. I thought my nan and grandad had come home, but couldn't understand how they got in the house with the front door bolted. I lay very still and closed my eyes. After a few minutes, the door to the bedroom clicked open. The room filled with light and someone stepped down into the room. Whoever it was stayed there for a few minutes. I couldn't see who it was because of the shape of the room and I was too frightened to sit up and peep around the corner. Whoever it was then pulled the door shut and I heard their footsteps walk along the landing. After a while, I convinced myself it was my nan and grandad and dropped back off to sleep. I was woken at about 1am by my grandparents knocking on the front door. I got out of bed and let them in. The bolt was still on the door and every other window and door in the house had remained locked. Good luck with the podcast. Anne. Now, on to a couple of events that happened to a listener named Marion, who kindly emailed the show with her stories. One of these took place at Hayden Hill House, which had an entire episode dedicated to it way back in Season 1. Hi there. Love the podcast. I commented on Instagram and shared that I had had experiences at Hayden Hill. As requested, here's what happened. We, my partner, myself and a couple of friends, took part in an organised ghost hunt around 2018. I didn't know anything about Hayden Hill at the time. My experience links with what people had said about the servant stairs. I was walking down them when I suddenly felt fearful and I rushed down the last few steps. 
I heard footsteps behind me as I hit the floor, but I knew there was nobody behind me. I turned as I reached the door and saw at the foot of the stairs a man's body in a black double-breasted coat with gold buttons. I could see his hand on the banister, but I couldn't make out any other features. He vanished as quickly as I saw him. Also, while walking around in the dark during one of the vigils, it felt like someone was stepping close to me, which caused me to flinch a number of times. When I explained why I kept flinching, another member of our group shared that he too had experienced the same feeling. It's a place that I would definitely love to return to. I thought you might also like to hear about an experience we had at home during the 2020 European Football Championships, which obviously happened in 2021 due to Covid. We had family around, which included my partner's cousin, her husband, their two children and the children they were fostering at the time. All the children came dressed in onesies. I hadn't met the foster kids before, but I welcomed them all in and offered them drinks and showed the younger ones to the table I had set up with craft things and books. They all settled down well. We sat in the garden under a gazebo which was attached to our shed, which we'd converted to a bar to watch the game. I looked up and watched one of the little girls going into the house, I assumed to use the toilet. After about 10 or 15 minutes, I realised that she hadn't come back out and commented to my mother-in-law, who was sat next to me, that she hadn't returned. My mother-in-law looked confused and said that all the children were sat there, right in front of us. I looked and couldn't see the girl that was dressed in the yellow and pink onesie. I pointed this out and my mother-in-law again stated that no one was missing. I felt odd as I knew something wasn't right. After the game, people left and myself and my husband sat in the shed bar finishing off our drinks. I commented that I was losing the plot and explained about what had happened. He went pale and asked if I was joking. He then explained that he thought that one of the foster children had brought a friend as he had also saw an additional little girl with them when they arrived. He didn't give it another thought until he saw them outside and he saw this little girl with them and thought about how quiet she had been and how he hadn't really noticed her again till then. I can distinctly remember that I had handed out bubbles and when I checked I had given out one extra set, one more than the number of children actually present. I have no explanation for what happened. No one else saw her, just myself and my husband. His cousin has reported no odd experiences. Guess we'll never know who she was, or why we saw her, or why she was at our house. Thinking about it now, it was both scary and confusing. My husband and I both sat in silence for a while after we realised what this girl could have potentially been. I clearly remembered handing her bubbles, so it seemed the easiest way to check. From my recollections, she was about six years old, with mousy blonde hair worn in a half-up, half-down type style. My husband called his mother and she confirmed that there had been five children with my husband's cousin. 
three boys, two girls. We had both seen six children. We don't know too much about the foster children's lives. Maybe this girl was connected to them. We also wondered if the excited energy before the game, as England had been doing well, helped her appear. Kind regards, Marion. Throughout our childhood and teenage years, we meet many people. Some become friends whilst others don't. Almost always you'll meet someone who has the reputation of being able to more than take care of themselves. These people sometimes give off an air of indestructibility and confidence. But every now and then, it's these same people who have an experience which can completely scare them to death. And you see them for what they really are just ordinary, everyday people. Our next listener, Matt, tells us the story of an incident which took place where he used to live and reduced a fellow teenager who had that air of indestructibility and confidence to tears. Hi, Steve. I'm really enjoying the Haunted UK podcast. I work long hours and interesting podcasts really help the day go quicker. I just thought I'd share with you something that happened to me in my school years. I've always been open-minded regarding ghosts and the paranormal. I do believe there's much more to the world than what we can see, hear and smell. I've never actually seen a ghost myself, but I would always remember an experience during my school years. Near where I lived in Stamford, Lincolnshire, there are three sets of woods uncannily named the first, second and third woods. The first woods was basically a long hedge on the side of the road, whilst the second woods was very similar but much, much longer and deeper. The ideal place for youngsters to have a sneaky cigarette after school. Opposite both of these woods was the third woods. This was quite a large circular shaped woods and to get to it you had to go around a gate and walk down a long gravel road through a farmer's field. This was very popular with dog walkers. Behind and next to the woods was an old quarry that was closed years ago. There were some ash mounts and they were often used by BMX bike riders as well as a small pond which was occupied by very rare crested newts. There were always stories of the ghost of a young child that occupied these woods which always interested me, but I never experienced anything myself, despite spending lots of time in there building dens and exploring, etc. At a later point in my school years, myself and a group of friends bought some mopeds and used the gravel road as a track. We spent any nights and weekends riding the mopeds up the track and around the woods. In the daytime, we also used the quarry at the back of the woods, one evening after school, I wasn't with my friends, but a few of them went to the woods for the usual moped rides. One lad I went to school with was called Colin. He used to practice kickboxing and was well known for starting fights and being quite tough, while pretty much not being afraid of anything or anyone. Though to be honest, looking back now, he wasn't a bad lad at all. The next day at school, my friends told me something that I will never forget. On the night in question, there was only one moped, and two of my friends waited at the gate while Colin rode up to the track and came back again. From what I was told, 
It took him a little longer than expected, and eventually the other two boys saw him coming back down the track. Colin was hysterical, with tears pouring down his face, and he was very shaken up. Once he'd calmed down, he said that while riding around the woods before turning to come back, he saw a young girl in white flying through the trees. As I said before, Colin was a tough kid, and that's what struck me. He'd seen something that night so terrifying that it made him burst into tears in front of his friends. Oddly enough, I never saw much of him after that night, and as far as I can remember, his family moved away. On another occasion, a completely different group of friends, and I use the term friends very loosely in this instance, said they were in the woods one night when they looked up and saw a young girl looking down on them from a tree and whispering, after which they all fled, though they did seem sincere, I'm not sure I trusted their word to be honest, but they didn't know of my other friends to hear about what happened to Colin. There are apparently many ghosts around Stamford, as it's a very old town with very old Victorian era buildings. It would be amazing to hear a podcast about it sometime. It would also be brilliant if this story is read out on your podcast, but no problem at all if not. I'm sure there's many other interesting experiences to tell. Please keep up the good work, and I wish you every success in the future. Kind regards, Matt. Wanting to find out a little more about the area which this incident took place in, I contacted Mark and he was kind enough to provide the following interesting information. Thanks so much for taking the time to reply. It's great to know that my experience will be shared on the show. I'm really looking forward to hearing it read out. I've also managed to do a bit of research which may be helpful to you. The quarry I mentioned was called Williamson Cliff Brickworks. I can remember my mum telling me about it after it was demolished. I can't find any information regarding a school or workhouse that was there previously, though new houses were built on the old quarry site when it was shut down and demolished. It seems that it does have a little history which goes back to World War II. Apparently, Soldiers secretly dug out underground tunnels throughout the woods I mentioned, to act as a resistance movement if the war was lost. After the war was over, these tunnels were apparently destroyed. Maybe there was an undocumented accident during the digging of the tunnels, as it was supposed to be secret. There was a war memorial for 41 soldiers, six of which died, made at the brickworks, which was then moved to Stamford Cemetery after it was closed. Though I don't think the soldiers actually died near or at the brickworks, I'm assuming they were Stamford residents. Could I ask in a future episode of the show if you may like to cover scientific theories that attempt to explain experiences of ghosts and hauntings? Obviously, science can't explain everything at this point in time, but it would be so interesting to see where science and the paranormal meet in a kind of grey unexplored area. I do have my own theory I've thought about over the years myself, which I'd be happy to share with you, but I haven't the knowledge nor the equipment to test it properly. Best regards, Matt. 
A deeper look into what science has to offer with regards to current theories of the paranormal is definitely something that I'd like to look into. Maybe this could be an episode which would make an appearance in Season 5, because Season 4 is already written and is being prepped, ready for release, as I record this episode now. Our next listener, Emma, emailed over the following group of stories which all take place in the house where she, her partner Mike, and their sons still continue to live today. This collection of stories just goes to show that there are circumstances in which both the living and those beyond can coexist. Emma says, My partner and I love the podcast and have listened to every single episode. I think my personal favourite was the Peak District Werewolf, but I think my partner would probably go for Chillingham Castle. I'm not sure if you're still collecting listener stories, but I thought you may be interested to hear our experiences in our current family home. We moved into the house in January 2017, and at the time I was very heavily pregnant with my son. We looked at a few rental properties, but nothing had grabbed us until we viewed our house. It's not especially exciting, I suppose. It's a three-bed, semi-detached Victorian farm cottage in a Hampshire village. In need of rather a lot of TLC, and definitely a bit shabby round the edges, but being big fans of older houses with a bit of character, our previous rental was a tiny 18th century cottage a few villages away, we loved it and signed the rental agreement and moved in. My partner Mike gets up very early for work and leaves at 5am each day. I think it was only a day or two after we'd moved in that he returned to work. At around 5.30am that morning, I was woken by our cats making some very odd noises. I looked down and saw their shadowy figures by the bed playing with something. On closer inspection, it was a dead bird. A sparrow, I seem to remember. Nothing unusual about cats catching birds, except ours were house cats and didn't have the opportunity to catch one. It could have got trapped in the house somehow, but all I could think of was remembering something about birds in the house being bad luck, and it made me feel a little uneasy. Around six weeks later, our beautiful son was born, and he slept beside our bed in a Moses basket. I must have woken up at around 3am on one of those new parent nights between feeds and heard somebody playing a piano. It was like they were hitting the keys with one finger and the music was rather out of tune. This was heard on various nights and always in the early hours of the morning by both me and Mike. I remember once I was determined to try and record it, but as it played I was genuinely too scared to reach my hand out of the duvet and pick up my phone from the floor. Daft, really, I suppose. This happened for around a month or so and then... nothing. All was quiet for a while, until we were sat in the living room and heard something falling down. Some books had come off the shelf in our toilet downstairs. They were pushed far back on the shelf, and we couldn't see how they could just fly off onto the floor. Time went on, and aside from a few corner-of-the-eye type things, not much had happened. My son must have been around three years old when I was tucking him into bed one night, and he said, Mummy, 
Who is that man? What man, I said. He sat bolt upright in bed, pointed over my shoulder and said, that man. I swung around to look. Nobody there. I felt very uncomfortable and rather nervous. There were other occasions when he said similar things such as, why is daddy by the door? When his dad would be in the bath. I was chatting to our lovely next door neighbour and casually mentioned what had been happening. She immediately responded by telling me her youngest daughter often talked about the old man. She also asked me if our cats ran up and down the stairs at night as she heard heavy footsteps next door. Now, the wall between our houses is extremely thin and we hear each other a lot. But I said no, our cats were getting on a bit and certainly weren't active enough to start storming the stairs each night. Not long after this conversation, I received a text from a friend of mine and he'd got chatting to a lady that lived behind us. Whilst she was in town, she must have mentioned us. I've just realised you're living in my sister's old place, he said. And after a bit of back and forth about what a small world it was and does it still have those crappy storage heaters, yes it does by the way, he sent another message. Want to know something about that house? He added a winking emoji, I think, as well. I immediately knew what he was going to say and said something like, I think I can guess, but go on then. And as expected, he told me it was haunted, but offered up the information that an elderly chap called Jim had died there some years before. My friend's nephew, whilst living at the house, had also communicated with the old man on a regular basis. He must have been around eight at the time, but had apparently said that it was the best house he'd ever lived in. This gave me some comfort, and I felt less uneasy about the experiences that we'd had. Going forward, we would always say Jim's name if anything happened, and make it jovial. We also tried something, and I honestly didn't think it would work, but it did. My son is autistic, and for a long time was very fixated on his box of colouring pencils. He would play with them constantly, taking them out, lining them up, using them as characters, etc. If one disappeared, he would become incredibly upset, and it would trigger a meltdown which would only cease when we found the missing pencil. One day, a purple pencil vanished. We hunted high and low. Sofas were pulled apart. Underneath cupboards were checked to no avail. I said out loud, Jim, could you help us find the purple pencil, please? And a couple of hours later, Mike went upstairs, and there it was, just sitting on the carpet in front of him, the purple pencil. We were gobsmacked. We'd been up and down those stairs looking for it, and all of a sudden there it was. Truly amazed, we thanked Jim profusely. It was quiet again for a while with little activity. Then one summer's night in 2020, we were both sat on the sofa in the living room. Our sofa faces the kitchen door. A mist-type smoke effect was right in front of us, and it must have been at least three feet across. It coiled and twisted across the room from one side to the other, before vanishing into the wall next door. We were absolutely speechless and utterly stunned. 
Aha, Jim, we thought. This happened regularly, and there is an old armchair just in front of the wall that the mist-type smoke phenomena disappears into. If you happen to be sat in that old armchair when it's crossing, then by God you know about it. The strangest, coldest feeling hits you. Very, very weird. My mum has also witnessed it on visits, and it's certainly not restricted to nighttime by any means. There's been many an afternoon it's passed by me. Another incident occurred early one morning. My son and I both heard a loud electrical bang which sounded like it came from the fuse box in the hallway. I rushed out there to be met with an acrid smell of burning, but couldn't see anything untoward. I'm extremely wary of anything electrical going wrong, and the burning smell made me very nervous. So I called the letting agency, who immediately sent out an electrician, who thoroughly investigated the fuse box, plugs, etc., but was unable to find anything wrong at all. I kept apologising for wasting his time, but telling him that there was definitely a bang and a smell. I'm sure he thought I was mad, but was too polite to dismiss me. We are now incredibly happy and comfortable to share our home with one of its previous residents. I never thought I would be, to be honest, but you just learn to accept and understand, though the light bulbs coming out of their sockets still make me jump. Whether Jim is still here in some form, or if he just likes to make his presence felt once in a while, he's very welcome, and we wouldn't want it any other way. Thanks for reading our experiences, and please continue with the podcast. It's fabulous, and there are so many stories to tell. Around 15 years ago, I worked at quite a famous place. Now that is a whole other story. If you're interested, I'd be happy to recant a few tales. Kindest regards, Emma. As you can all guess, I'll be sending an email to Emma to give her a little reminder about those stories when she worked at this mystery location. Hopefully, they'll be part of the Listener Stories finale at the end of Season 4. Our last collection of listener stories which round out this episode come from Cassie also in Hampshire. These stories are absolutely fascinating and they have many elements of the paranormal included in them. I don't know if you're still looking for stories, but I recently came across your podcast, which is great by the way and thank you, and I thought I would share some stories of what my family experienced in our childhood home. Our house was not your stereotypical haunted house. It was relatively modern, semi-detached, three-bedroom home on a standard road in a standard town in the southeast of England. It had no history of tragedy or spooky goings-on and there was no reason to believe that the house was haunted. We did, however, experience a great deal of unexplained phenomena over the years that we lived there. Me and my sister were young children at the time and these experiences are somewhat recalled by my parents' memories. I remember things would always go missing in the house. My dad would come home from work and put his keys on the shelf by the door and they would constantly go missing and turn up in random places, either later that night or the next morning. 
Sometimes, they would be placed neatly back on the shelf where he'd left them after my dad looked for them for hours. My mum swears she never moved them, and the shelf was too high for me and my sister to reach. My dad, a very logical person with no belief in the paranormal, swore he was going mad. One particular missing incident that I remember well involved my sister's comfort blanket, which she took everywhere with her. She was never without it. She woke up from a nap one day after having definitely gone to bed with the blanket to find it mysteriously missing. We turned the house upside down looking for this blanket, my sister hysterical the whole time. She kept saying, the black lady took my blanket, but we didn't pay much attention to her at the time as she was a small child and we just assumed she'd had a bad dream, still a very possible explanation to this day. After hours of looking to no avail, and no end to my sister's crying, my mum recalls how she was having one last check around the bedroom and cried out in frustration, please, just give my daughter her blanket back. She then walked out of the room to continue looking. On re-entering the bedroom sometime later, what was neatly folded up on the end of my sister's bed? Her blanket. To this day, my mum doesn't know what made her cry out like that, or to whom she was actually talking to, but she doesn't like to talk about it much, but says it was very odd. One major thing that happened in the house that still spooks my dad to this day was when he had a vivid dream that there was someone stomping around in the attic. First, some relevant information about the attic. There was no ladder or pull cord to get to it. The only way in was for my dad to climb up onto the landing cupboard, about four feet high, slide the latch away with the tips of his fingers and then pull himself up into the opening. It's also important to note that my dad was the only one tall enough or who had the strength to lift the hatch and he would have known the last time he'd opened it. This was about six months previously when restoring the Christmas decorations. After being suddenly woken up by this dream, my dad, again, a very logical and no-nonsense person, was spooked enough to get out of bed and step onto the landing to check the hatch, which was now wide open. Now, onto what I remember of the house. As a child, I would have a recurring dream of getting out of bed, going to the window and climbing out. I would fly up and down the road, looking at my neighbours' houses and cars. I would always have a great time and never felt any negativity surrounding this. One night, however, I was having my usual recurring dream and was just about to climb through the window when I felt a hand grab my upper arm. I froze, and whatever it was told me that I should stop doing this as it wasn't safe. There was no malice in this voice. It felt like more of a gentle warning, and I obediently went back to bed. I never had the dream again. I understand this was probably just a child's active imagination, but I'll always remember what I felt that night. It genuinely felt like there was another presence there, but it felt warm and protecting, and to this day, I question whether it was something more than just a dream. I also remember one time when I was very ill and couldn't move from the sofa. My parents left me there to sleep and it became my sickbed for a few days. One night, I was woken up by the TV turning on by itself, 
poltergeist style straight onto static. I was too ill to get up and after a while of staring at the TV wondering what to do, I just shouted out, Please turn the TV off, to which it promptly turned off. I could go on and on about the strange things that happened in that house, but I feel like this is already pretty long, so I will end with one last story. This is the thing that scared me the most in the entire 12 years that I lived there. Me and my sister were given these mechanical dancing cow toys for Christmas. They were battery operated and when a switch was flicked on on their back, they would dance and light up. Well, one night as me and my sister slept, I was woken by one of these toy cows dancing and flashing all by itself. I looked over at my sister who was fast asleep and decided she could not possibly have been the one to turn it on as the switches were quite stiff and she always needed my help with hers. I remember thinking at the time how strange it was given the stiffness of the switch and it was unlikely it could have been accidentally pushed while sitting in the toy basket. Nevertheless, I dutifully got up and switched it off, making sure that it was firmly switched to off. No sooner had I climbed back into bed that it started again, but this time slower and making a deeper, creepier sound the kind of sound mechanical toys sometimes make when they're running out of battery power. I leapt out of bed, grabbed the toy and ripped the batteries out, then got back into bed. All was quiet for a while and I was just drifting off to sleep when I heard the terrifying sound of the toy going off again. I didn't hang around this time and ran straight into my parents' room crying. Understandably, they thought I'd just had a bad dream and put me back to bed, taking the toy with them. I tried to explain how I couldn't have dreamt it when the toy was still on the bedroom floor with the batteries out where I'd left it. But they either didn't believe me or didn't want to believe me. Needless to say, I threw that thing in the bin the next day. Thank you for taking the time to read my stories. I do have more so if you're interested, please let me know. Maybe I'll hear these on my new favourite podcast, but if not, thanks anyway. Cassie from Hampshire. I emailed Cassie back to thank her for her stories, but to also suggest that maybe when she was experiencing the sensation of flying up and down her road in her dreams, that she could have in fact been in some sort of lucid dream state meaning that she could have been in complete control of what she was dreaming about and where her dreams would take her. Could Cassie's subconscious mind have also enabled her to somehow enter someone else's dream? This could maybe explain the voice warning her to stop travelling away from her house when she began to dream. But there's also the possibility of a paranormal element seeping into these experiences. Could this voice have been the spirit of someone long gone, connected to the family at some point in the past, but still watching over them? Cassie was kind enough to reply to my email, and she also included a few more amazing stories. Great to hear back from you, and no worries about the delay. I completely understand, and just assumed you were busy. So good to hear you like my stories, and that's a very interesting point about the land which the houses were built on. Who knows what went on there before the houses were constructed. Also, after your suggestion, I looked up lucid dreaming 
and I suppose it's very possible. I read that it can be interpreted as a form of psychic ability, and whilst never thinking I was particularly sensitive to that sort of thing, I definitely believe something runs in my family. My dad has a lot of stories about the house where he grew up. He recalls as a child he would be sitting in the front room with his parents with no one else in the house, and they would hear the banging of pots and pans and cupboards being opened and closed very loudly from the kitchen. They would often hear the kettle whistling years after my grandparents switched to an electric kettle. He would tell me about how his parents would always tell him to ignore it and pretend it wasn't happening. One particular time when he was upstairs alone, he saw a black shadow walk by his bedroom door and assumed it was his dad, my granddad, until he looked out of his bedroom window and saw my granddad in the garden, and there was no one else in the house at the time. He also remembers how his mother was fond of cats and would continue to try and have one as a pet. They would always refuse to stay in the house, one cat jumping out of a two-story window to its death after only seven minutes of being in the house. Other cats would go missing or turn up dead within weeks of being brought home. There was enough activity in the house that my nan decided to eventually call in a psychic to see if they could shed some light into what was going on. When the psychic walked through the door, her first words were, What a lovely house. It's full of cats. As far as other stories go, I'm a care worker and used to work in what I believe to be a haunted children's home. It was an old cottage building surrounded by fields in the Sussex countryside that had been converted and modernised into a six-bedroom home over three floors, the attic room containing one child's bedroom and one adult sleep room. It was in this adult attic room that most of the activity occurred. Staff members would have terrifying dreams of a black male figure standing at the end of their bed, with one even swearing that she saw it whilst awake. Duvets would get pulled off you in the middle of the night, and I once hunted for a pair of shoes which I definitely placed neatly by the door, only to find them casually thrown under the bed. My colleague went downstairs in the middle of the night, and as he walked past the games room, he saw a black figure sitting on the sofa. After he retraced his steps for a second look, the figure was gone. The children would also behave weirdly in their sleep states. We were once woken up by one girl scratching on the bathroom door. When we asked what she was doing, she replied, The man told me to do it. We took her back to bed, but she had no recollection of this event in the morning. I will never forget the time I was alone in the house doing a little cleaning, and I heard the sound of children's footsteps running up the stairs. As you would do, I assumed the children had just got back home, and since they weren't supposed to be upstairs alone unsupervised, I went up to check, but there was nobody else in the house. One last thing I remember about this house was that it had a long winding path through the garden to the front door, and a car park located beyond this path. Often finishing late at night, the walk back to the car park was in total darkness, and I remember that I always used to run as I felt something was off and that I was being watched. Lastly, going back to lucid dreaming, and if I can still do it, I can only recall one significant event in adulthood that may point towards this, 
and if it is anything more than just a dream, then it's truly terrifying. I'm a fan of urban exploring, and last year I went to visit an undisclosed location in Kent. This particular place is a fortress in various states of ruin, and after having gained entry we proceeded to explore the dark tunnels. One part of the tunnels was almost caved in, and we had to crawl on our stomachs to get through. After having got past this, we realised we were in a large chamber, maybe up to three floors high. It was very cold in there, and after a moment my partner pointed out a mist that seemed to be gathering in the corner of the room. As we watched, it moved from the corner and into the centre of the room, then disappeared. At the time, I remember we said how strange it was, as there was no wind in the tunnels or any obvious origins of where the mist had come from. But we didn't pay too much more attention to this and assumed it had a rational explanation. We continued to enjoy being surrounded by all of the amazing history contained in this location and took photos. I remember an eerie feeling coming over me as we walked into the next room. It felt so strong that it was almost hostile, like something didn't want us to be there. This room was smaller with various blasphemous writings all over the walls. I asked my partner if we could leave without really telling him why. When we talked about it later that day, he said he was also feeling a bit strange and sick in there and was glad when I asked to leave. That night, I had a terrifying dream that there was a demon at the end of my bed. I can still recall every single detail of this dream and it was very, very vivid, even down to exactly what the demon looked and sounded like. In my dream, I remember shouting the Lord's Prayer, something I hadn't said since I was a child and something I didn't think I even remembered. After reciting this prayer, the demon went away. Possibly just a dream brought on by subliminal satanic messages? Possibly not. On looking back, we realised we'd also managed to get a picture of this mist on camera. Thank you again for reading all my stories and for your podcast. I'm looking forward to new episodes. All the best. Cassie. As I said at the end of the first part of this trilogy of Listener Stories episodes, that, I'm afraid, is where we are going to end this episode. But don't forget that we have one more episode to come. And I can't wait for you all to tune in one last time this season and hear the amazing and creepy tales from more of you fantastic listeners. Thank you all so much for contributing to this episode with your experiences. And if you have more, or if you're a listener who feels that the time is right to share your story, then there's always Season 4's Listener Stories finale. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to ask a favour from all of you amazing listeners out there. The show's end-of-season finale revolves around the experiences and stories from listeners just like you. So if you've had an encounter with any element of the paranormal and you'd like to share your story, then I'd love to tell it for you on the Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. And in the subject section of your email, 
title it Listener Story, so it's easy for me to find. All stories are treated with the utmost privacy and respect, and if you wish to remain anonymous, then that's no problem at all. This podcast is recorded, mixed and mastered at my studio, Pink Flamingo Music Productions in Hells Owen in the West Midlands, England. If you have a piece of music you'd like mixing or mastering, or if you have a podcast that needs title music writing, or maybe you want your whole podcast editing and prepping for distribution, then why not get in touch with me via email at pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com with your inquiry, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. For a list of all research sources which I found helpful for the writing of this episode, please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care. But before you go, why not check out the following great podcast? Attempted murder on a ghost, cursed paintings burning houses down and lighthouse keepers disappearing without a trace. The world is filled with astonishing stories that will make you go and shrug, saying, well, I don't know what's going on here, but it is certainly strange. My podcast, Certainly Strange, is a collection of these bizarre tales. Each episode I tell a separate story and share my own unfiltered opinions and theories about it. If this sounds interesting to you, come and join me on this journey through the strangest parts of our history.